Ah, Father, you are incredible. We love you so much. The life that you give us, it blows away the life that the world offers. And we're thankful. We seek you this morning. We have gathered here together because you are our God. And we long for more of you. We want to be your servants. We want to declare you today afresh as our Lord. You know us. We're, it's easy. We're fickle. We walk away at times. And so we resurrender now. Come. Come and meet with us. Holy Spirit, come and fill each of us. Fill us full of faith. Produce your fruit in our lives and teach us from your word this morning. Especially about the end times. Help us to know how to be prepared and how to even live now in light of this information from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Revelation chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. It's the last book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. We're going through the book of Revelation verse by verse. And we're at this section on the Antichrist, chapter 13. And I'm calling this Christ versus the Antichrist. It almost gives you boxing images, doesn't it? Why don't we watch this? Mayweather versus McGregor, Saturday, August 26th at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific, live on pay-per-view. How many of you watch that? Anybody? Yeah, okay. You know, I mean, some people are boxing fans and others are saying that's kind of barbaric. But, okay, but I want you to picture that. It just happened last night, by the way, okay? Mayweather TKO'd McGregor in the 10th round. That's, uh, if I spoiled it for you, sorry. That's, uh, okay, but you got the boxing imagery there, right? Listen, there is a battle raging in the heavenlies right now that is impacting our world in unprecedented ways. Things are lining up for the Antichrist to appear. I'm not predicting dates, uh, but Jesus said we could know the times and seasons in Matthew 24. So let's read our passage and see the Antichrist, and then we'll compare him and see this battle between Christ versus the Antichrist. Chapter 13. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. One of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast who was able to wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. 
and began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive into captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. Now Satan is focused on disrupting the work and the worship of the true God. The Antichrist is his ultimate weapon, but it will not succeed because of Christ and his one-two punch. Okay, we're going with the boxing imagery here. The one-two punch of the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. If you could just imagine Satan, he's in the boxing ring and he thinks he KOs Jesus. He's dead. He's crucified on the cross. And he's down for the count. And there's one, two, wait, What's that? And he rises from the dead on the third day. And that's, just, that's like the boom! Knockout right there, right? And then, and, then, and then when he comes back, when we get to that part in Revelation, it's really cool, okay? But when he comes back, that's it. All evil wiped out. That's the one-two punch. Now, in the meantime, in the middle of that, God has poured out His Spirit upon His people, and He's called us to go out and rescue the lost. That's what takes place in the middle, in between these two punches. But the Antichrist is Satan's final weapon. This is his last punch. Let's look at this in verses 1 through 3. First of all, we see that the Antichrist will take over the world. It's described here, I just read it, of this beast who has, and remember this is imagery from apocalyptic genre of the book of Revelation with a beast so it's not a literal beast coming out of the sea but this is figurative of, uh, and, and taken from the book of Daniel as well by the way with ten horns seven heads and crowns on the horn and blasphemies we see that the, the beast is like a leopard and a bear and a lion and then it says one of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded but its fatal wound was healed the Antichrist as we see in this passage will take over the world. Now the phrase Antichrist is actually not found in the book of Revelation. Uh, Antichrist is found in John's letters. It speaks of you have heard of the Antichrist to come, meaning there is an end time Antichrist who will come. But there are many Antichrists, and so there are many of those who are in opposition to God. But we see this figure in chapter 13 also spoken of in the book of Daniel as well as in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 called the man of lawlessness. That this man, this Antichrist, will take over the world. It reminds me of one of my favorite cartoons. Anybody watch the pinky in the brain? Yes. All right. Pinky in the brain. You got the two mice and uh, and. Pinky's not the brightest one, uh, always says to the brain, you know, well, brain, what are we going to do today? Same as we do every day, Pinky, try to take over the world. 
Okay. Now that's a cartoon, but this is actually going to happen. The Antichrist will take over the world. The imagery is taken from the book of Daniel reflecting a combination of four successive empires, that's reflected in the book of Daniel at least, of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome with a revival of the Roman Empire. And by the way, the Roman Empire has actually not ever died. If you trace the history, it's always been around and its influence uh, took place in both Europe and America. So we still have that, that milieu, that, that way of thinking, especially with the greed and so forth that comes from that. That is going to be revived in the end of time. Daniel Aiken, in his commentary, he speaks of this. First of all, he quotes uh, John MacArthur who says, those seven heads represent seven successive world empires, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and Antichrist's final world kingdom. The ten diadems, royal crowns, indicate the horn's regal authority and victorious power. And then Aiken says, verse 2 draws on the vision of Daniel 7, 3 through 8, but in reverse order, perhaps because John is looking at it in the past. Here, three terrifying elements of three great empires of the ancient world are said to characterize the beast. The leopard represented the Greek empire under Alexander the Great. It speaks of the swiftness of its destructive power. The bear represented Medo-Persia and symbolized its great strength and devouring power. The lion was Babylon with its majesty, power, and fierceness. This awesome political entity in person is empowered by the dragon who will give to it in him three things, his power, his throne, and great authority. The Antichrist will take over the world. Now, the Antichrist is a pseudo-Christ. Anti can bring out two different ideas, both false and against. The Antichrist is a false Christ, but he's also against the true Christ. And that's what we're seeing in this figure. Uh, Paige Patterson in his commentary uh, helps us understand this, uh, especially from this passage. He says, The intrinsic potential of religion and the incurable spiritual nature of man has always been known and utilized by the powers of evil. The reader then will not be surprised to find an apparent effort to reduplicate the Godhead as a part of the diabolical deception unveiled in chapter 13. Just as the Christian faith is a Trinitarian faith, so there is something of a trinity of evil involving the dragon and the two beasts of chapter 13. The first beast we're looking at with the Antichrist in, chapter, in verses 1 through 10, but then we'll see the second beast, the false prophet, in verses 11 on in chapter 13. So two beasts. In addition, a death blow is given to one of these members from which resuscitation is a miraculous mimicking of the work of the second person of the Trinity. Moreover, omens, signs, and wonders are given in order to astonish and deceive those who live on the earth. In this regard, the second beast seems to function in some way like the third person of the Trinity. The two beasts of chapter 13, the first primarily political and the second more essentially religious, together mark the agenda for what appears to be the triumph of evil in the tribulation period, particularly the concluding 42 months of that period, as is mentioned in our passage. And so we see this, 
The Antichrist is trying to be a pseudo-Christ, even with this appearance of a fatal wound being healed like Jesus who rose from the dead. The Antichrist is a pseudo-Christ. Satan is a wannabe God who will never be God. He convinces humans, though, to be wannabe gods in such a way that we usurp or seek to usurp the lordship of God. What we also see here in the Antichrist taking over the world is that the Antichrist will form a one-world government. And that's his plan. By the way, globalization has always been the plan of Satan. That is his method. He started it way back in Genesis chapter 11. We see the Tower of Babel. The people, instead of going out throughout the world like they were supposed to, it says they gathered together and they built a tower. Specifically, it says to make a name for themselves. They wanted to elevate themselves above or at least equal to God. And that's when God gave them different languages and scattered them because it wasn't time yet. But this has always been Satan's strategy and it is accomplished in the end of time. So remember that globalization is a part of the plan of Satan. And then we see, but I want to compare this. Okay, this is Satan's plan to take over the world, globalization, to be the dictator. But the real Jesus will return in his time and will wipe out all evil. Now that is going to be a day, all right? The day when Jesus comes back. Well, we got to wait till we get there at the end of the book. But when we get to the end of the book, we're going to see that he comes in all of his glory, wipes out all evil, and reigns in Jerusalem. And that is going to be the knockout punch. Look at Matthew 24, verses 23 through 27. As I said before, Matthew 24 is Jesus' version of what the end times are going to be like. That's why, we've, as we've been going through the book of Revelation, we've compared it with Matthew 24 so often because they go as, coincide with one another so well. Look at Matthew 24, verse 23. He says, If anyone tells you then, see, he, here he is the Messiah, or over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I've told you in advance. Okay? He's saying here, he's giving us this information. That's why the Bible talks a lot about end time stuff, is he wants us to know ahead of time so that it won't catch us off guard. It's why we're going through this book. Take note, he says. I've told you in advance. So if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or see, he's in the storerooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Everybody will know it. That's the knockout punch. So the real Jesus will return in his time and wipe out evil. But until then, in the very end of time, we have the Antichrist. And in verses 4 through 6, we see, that the false, we see the false religion of the Antichrist. Look what it says. 
they worshipped the dragon. Now, the dragon is Satan. And don't think that people are going to all become Satan worshippers. They probably don't think it's Satan. It's all of the false religions that the Bible, if you notice from Genesis to Revelation, God has always shown an opposition of the true God and true religion with all of the false gods and false religions. Okay, so that's, so they're probably not thinking they're worshiping Satan, but they are. That's the point. They worship the dragon because he gave authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's the three-and-a-half-year period. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme His name and His dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And so we see the false religion of the Antichrist. By the way, religion is not necessarily good. As I said before, all the way through the Bible, we see this contrast of the one true religion, the one true God, contrasted with the false religions and false gods. Jesus, over and over, opposed, like in Mark chapter 7, 1 through 13, He opposed the religiousness of the Pharisees. He didn't commend them. He opposed them, specifically condemned them for because what they had done is they had taken their traditions and elevated them to equality with the Scriptures and even usurped some of the Scriptures by their traditions. And Jesus rebukes them. Sincerity is not the ultimate virtue. Now, sincerity is good, right? We should be sincere in our beliefs, right? But sincerity is not the ultimate virtue. Many passages we could turn to, but I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 12 for one example. 1 Samuel 12, we see this idea that sincerity is not the ultimate virtue. Look at what it says. Now, this is a, the people had sinned, and Samuel's confronting them, and he says in verse 20, Samuel replied... Don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. Notice the contrast. Worship the Lord. Whenever you see the four capital letters for Lord, that's Yahweh, the personal name of God. He says, worship Yahweh with all of your heart. Don't turn away and follow worthless things. All other religions are worthless. They cannot profit or rescue you. They are worthless. Sincerity doesn't matter. The book of Proverbs says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So what matters is what is true. That's what matters. And so we see here the false religion of the Antichrist. It's going to be easy for many to just fall into that routine. Now I have suggested, and this is not uh, science, this is not, you know, this, this may or may not be true, but I have suggested that it's possible that the Antichrist could be a Muslim. And I've shared with you be, that because of my studies of Islam's belief of the end times. 
You see, Islam also has a collection of sayings from Muhammad that talk about what they believe the end is going to be like. And uh, especially, specifically, they're looking for a guy called the Mahdi. I have a book that has all the collection of the sayings of, of uh, Muhammad on what the Mahdi will be like. And it's, what's fascinating is it's, it's the exact opposite of what the book of Revelation says. They believe that this political figure, the Mahdi, will come and join with Esau, or Jesus, who's going to come back, the religious figure, and they, in Jerusalem, are going to oppose two figures, two people, who are performing miracles, and they're going to kill them and force everyone to become Muslim. That's their belief. But it fits so well with the Antichrist and the false prophet that we're seeing in chapter 13 that I, can't, I have to say that is a possibility. Uh, the possibility, uh, and we're even seeing this today, uh, an unholy alliance of Islam and humanism. Uh, spe- specifically humanism uh, in a religious realm of, uh, of, of um, theological liberalism. Okay, So we see this alliance uh, here going on. We're going to see that's what's supposed to happen according to Revelation 17, where we have this political figure who will use the Roman Empire leaders and then crush them. And that's what's supposed to go on. So, so, but at any rate, we need to recognize this. Jim did an excellent job last week describing the world's religion. The world's religion is the human potential movement. The idea that there's something great inside of you, that you and we can make something happen, that's the Tower of Babel. That's what, that's what the world is saying, and that's in opposition to our need for Jesus as Lord. But we see this. Uh, by the way, uh, just to, if, if anybody likes reading historical books... <laughs> J. Gresham Machen, back in 1921, wrote a book, uh, Bombshell, in uh, theological circles called Christianity and Liberalism. His whole point in this book was he compared true Christianity with theological liberalism and showed that theological liberalism is not Christian. That's how far away these things have become. So there's this religion that even might even purport to be Christianity, but it's not because it goes against the basic tenets of the faith of the one true God and the true gospel. So we need to be aware of that. The false religion promotes blasphemy of the true God. It says the beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. Islam teaches in the Quran specifically that Jesus is not God and that he wasn't crucified that is blasphemy because those are the two central tenets of true christianity that jesus is god and that he was crucified died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins they are not anywhere similar religions they don't have the same god Humanism and its counterpart, theological liberalism, are also blasphemies because they eradicate or blur the fundamental creature-creator distinction. He is Lord, 
We are not. Only true Christianity exalts the true God. Last week on the telephone, I got cussed out by a person. I heard words I haven't heard in a long time. And as far as I could tell, the main reason he was getting so upset with me is because I was advocating forgiveness. We all need to forgive. You see, Christianity is focused on how we need to be forgiven because of our sins. And then once we're forgiven, we need to forgive others. We can't hold our grudges. It only hurts us and everyone else. And I was simply sharing that. And, but that, uh, that was not what this person apparently needed or at least wanted to hear. Um, and we can s- expect more and more of this persecution as we will see in just a moment. But the false religion of the Antichrist, when Jesus returns, we will worship him. That is going to be a day. Can you imagine that? When Jesus comes back, wipes out all evil, will be with him, his very presence. He'll always be there. We'll be able to worship him just without any worries, no more persecution. That is going to be a day. The fight will be over. But also, no more opportunity to rescue the lost. While we're here, we want to love everybody we can. And, uh, and love them so much to invite them into the kingdom of God that they might be saved. So the false religion of the Antichrist, and then it culminates in verses 7 through 10, the Antichrist will conquer the saints. That's not a typo. Okay, Look at what it says in verse 7. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. See that one world government. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive into captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. So the Antichrist will conquer the saints. There's going to be massive persecution. It's already beginning. I was reading in the Voice of the Martyrs uh, uh, an article about uh, Hamid. Hamid is in Pakistan. He's a Christian, but he's being persecuted for his faith. Because he's a Christian, he's subjugated to the lowest of jobs, and they and they beat him at times and uh, all he describes all the horrible things that have been done to him simply because he is a Christian but he came to a place and he describes it in this article how he was able to forgive his persecutors he was able not only to forgive them but to love them and he, because of that he describes how he was filled with the joy of the Lord the joy of the Lord that outers, outside circumstances have nothing and no control over it. He experienced that joy deep down inside him, welling up. Listen, people, Hamid is my hero. This, this, and this is going to happen more and more as we see the days 
coming August 15th a Christian teenager was detained in Pakistan for blasphemy I don't know what's happened since then but these kinds of things are taking place the Antichrist eventually it says here verse 7 he will conquer the saints so who are the saints it's that football team down in New Orleans right yes but not here the saints, our passage describes it. Our, the saints are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, okay? The saints aren't just this small group of really good Christians. It's all true Christians, our saints. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You say, well, how do I get my name in the Lamb's book of life? Very specifically, a definite experience of being born again, saved from your sin when you repent and believe and are baptized. That's how you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. You don't just kind of gradually become a Christian. There is a time, John, John 3, verse 3, Jesus said very specifically, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There has to be a time, there is a time before you were born again when you weren't saved, and then when you're born again, when you place your faith in Christ, that's when you're radically changed, transformed. You are a new creature in Christ. And how do we do that? John 3.16 tells us that. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We get that eternal life when we're born again. Acts chapter 2, when Peter presented the gospel to the crowd, they asked him, what do we do? They were cut to the heart. In verse 37, 38, he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And so that definite point in time when you were saved, when you've placed your faith in Christ, truly trusting in Him and in Him alone for your salvation. That's how you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's who the saints are that He's referring to. Everyone else worships the beast. But then the next question is, what will happen to the saints? Verse 10, it says, if anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. Some will be killed and some will be taken captive. Now, that doesn't mean we stop ministering, stop seeking to do that part where in between the two punches of Jesus where the church is rescuing the lost. No, if you die for your faith, that is a witness. Martyr is actually the Greek word witness. That is a witness to the world. People come to Christ all the time when people are martyred for their faith. Or if you're held captive wherever you're at, jail or whatever, just share your faith. All right? That's, but this is what we can expect to happen. And some of this is happening even now. So what is the response of the saints? And by the way, this is true for no matter what you're going through, whether it's persecution or just going through difficulties in life. The pain and heartache and suffering because this world is a messed up world. It's not the way it's supposed to be. He specifically says this calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. Calls for endurance. We're to endure. That word, hupomone, uh, it comes from two different Greek words, uh, meno, which is to remain, 
but then hupo, which is under, remain under. It's the, it's the idea of in the midst of this burden on you, you remain under it. You endure. You don't run. Alexander Solzhenitsyn uh, shares a story. He was actually imprisoned for his faith in the uh, former Soviet Union. And he was imprisoned in the gulags. He wrote a, a book called the Gulag Archipelago that uh, describes these instances. And in the gulag, he describes how people would just become despairing because it was such a horrible place to live in. And he says, he says people would, on a regular basis, just all of a sudden bolt for the wall, hoping that somehow, some way, they'd get to the wall, be able to climb over, even though it has all the barbed wire on it, and somehow get over and escape, even though they know the guards will just shoot them and kill them before they ever even get to the wall. But they lose hope, and they just, they know they're going to get killed, but they don't care, and they just bolt for the wall. In fact, he described how one day he was actually thinking of that. He was losing hope, and he was despairing, and he was actually thinking about it. Somebody who he'd never seen before in the prison walked up to him, didn't say a word, and drew a fish in the dirt. And he saw that, the sign of Christianity, and it gave him hope. He didn't bolt. He didn't go for the wall. It was like two, three weeks later, he was set free. But he endured. And we endure with his strength, not our own strength. We can't endure in our own strength, but in his strength. And he's calling us to endure, but also faithfulness. By the way, faithfulness means full of faith. All right? Don't think of faithfulness as, all right, drudgery, I'll get through this. Faithfulness is full of faith. Woohoo! Count it all joy when you suffer various trials. That's what it says in the book of James, chapter 1, right? And you're like, no way, Larry. Yeah, if you have the joy of the Lord, you cannot just endure. You can be full of faith going, God is going to do something here. That's the kind of thing. That's the life that's going to make a difference, that's going to affect other people as well. And we can have that by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn to Matthew 24, verses 9 through 14. Once again, back in Matthew we see this time being described. Matthew 24, verse 9. He says, Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. See, that's what he's talking about right here in chapter 13. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away. That is the great apostasy. There are going to be many people who are not truly Christians. They claim to be Christians, but when the persecution hit, they ran away. They said, I didn't sign up for this. And this great apostasy is going to happen at the end. Many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the true believer, the one who endures to the end. But he doesn't stop there. I'm amazed because he goes right into verse 14. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He's talking about revival. In the midst of the killing and the, and the being 
taken captive, he says there's going to be a great revival, and then the end will come. The greatest revival of all is going to be at the very end. That'll be a really cool thing to take part in, don't you think? And you know what? We don't have to wait. We can actually start taking part in this now if we share our faith, if we're out there talking to people about Jesus, if we really, truly make him the Lord, full of faith. And revival, we can see it even happening now, and the rumblings, and I believe this is going to happen. It's going to use us. But he's calling us here, be faithful. These are exciting times, okay? I mean, it's just going to get better and better and worse and worse. You know what I mean? Okay. But that's all right. I think, I think God will do more and more miracles. I think we'll see more people saved. I think life, living life on the cutting edge is the only way to do it. Yes, the bad is going to happen. It's going to be hard. But there's no way we can endure it without his help, without his strength. But he will see us through it. I want to finish with a a warning and a statement from Daniel Aiken in his commentary concerning this. He says, Satan's Antichrist is coming, but so is God's Christ, the Lord Jesus. What will you do? Will you be pro-Christ or anti-Christ? Will you worship God and the Lamb, or will you worship the dragon and the beast? The choice is that clear. And the choice is yours. Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. Your eternal home is at stake. You must take a stand. You are taking a stand right now. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, anyone who is not with me is against me. There is no neutral ground. You are either with him or against him. So what will you do? That is the question before us today let's pray sharing this joy we have inside of ourselves with other people how they can experience this new life of being born again eternal life this wonderful fellowship that we have that's that's what it means to be faithful and to be full of faith we can make a difference now we don't have to wait until the antichrist shows up by the way Okay, what do you think? <laughs> and, but this is, this is, these, listen, these are exciting times. Okay? You know, we can read this and go, oh man, I don't know if I can handle that. Of course you can handle it. Because God's with you. If God is for you, who could be against you? That's what the book of Romans teaches, right? This, these are exciting times. But it, is, it takes a choice. It takes a decision on your part. I want to finish with Daniel Aiken's statement here. He says, Satan's Antichrist is coming, but so is God's Christ, the Lord Jesus. What will you do? Will you be pro-Christ or anti-Christ? Will you worship God and the Lamb or will you worship the dragon and the beast? The choice is that clear and the choice is yours. Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. Your eternal home is at stake. You must take a stand. You are taking a stand right now. 
Jesus said in Matthew 12:30, anyone who is not with me is against me. There is no neutral ground. You are either with him or against him. So what will you do? We had a guest in our home, Li Fei from China, and uh, she was amazed by you. She said, I never experienced such love and I never experienced the joy of the Lord like I saw people worshiping. And then she said, I want Jesus. We took her down to the river and she got baptized. <laughs> now she's, she's gone home. She actually lives in Japan right now. Which I, don't, I don't know how that works, but, uh, but she lives in Japan right now. But she's going to take it where she goes. Uh, she might be coming back too, so I, I hope she's able to come back as well. But that's, that's what it's all about until Jesus comes back, right? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we read these pages and we do confess that it does.